Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Talking Ozpol. Uh, joining Ardeen and myself today is Ender Sai. Ardeen, Ender, how are you guys travelling? I'm travelling well. I thought I was going to have a problem with Turkey during the, the week, but uh, the next-door neighbour got a... <laughs> her daughter tends to adopt animals, and then it becomes a mum's problem. So they've got a whole lot of chooks, but they've now got Turkey, which is this massive turkey imaginatively called turkey and when it arrived it was taking a long time to settle down i thought it might be an issue sleeping at night but fortunately it sleeps in the the coop with the the chooks so i'm i'm pleased to say i've made my piece of turkey during the week <laughs> i will i will make my peace with turkey when they uh, recognize the armenian genocide but not before then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. What about you? How how are you going? Ah, uh, it's uh, certainly been a week. Um, <laughs> I I'll admit, when on Wednesday, I was thinking like, oh, I wonder what we're going to talk about this week on Talking Ospol. Like, it doesn't really feel like much has happened. And then um, the ship got very acquainted with the fan. <laughs> In a in a in a big way, and if if that's not a segue, I don't know what is. Yeah, we might just jump straight up into our first topic then, um, which is Lydia Thorpe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I might let uh, you introduce this, uh, Dean. What exactly happened with Lydia Thorpe? Well, essentially, what happened with Lydia Thorpe is she was on a uh, committee, and it's just, just as you said that the name of it went out there investigating uh, crime, etc. Unfortunately, at the time that she was involved in this parliamentary committee, she also had a well, depending on reports, a, 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 a quick fling, a, a medium term fling with uh, Dean Martin, not of the uh, Rat Pack, but of the ex-Rebels, uh, had a fling with, with him and given his status with the um, you know, Australian police's investigation into um, outlaw motorcycle gangs, uh, it turned out to be a bit of a problem for her, as you would e expect, given the inference of uh, data potentially being compromised. So consequently, Adam Bant uh, asked for and received Lydia Thorpe's resignation as deputy leader of the Greens. She's still in the Greens, but uh, no longer has a deputy leader position. So that's, in, in, a, in a nutshell, and I'm sure we'll flesh out some details, that's what's happened with Lydia. Yeah, I do just need to start because little, the little pedantic part of my head needs to correct you a little bit. Um, I, I, I expected that as it was coming out. I'm thinking <laughs> I've got some little uh, rough spots here, so uh, go away, fire away. Uh, the main one being that she it was not actually the deputy leader of the party. Oh, that's been reported quite a lot. She was actually the deputy Senate leader, um, deputy to Larissa Waters in the Senate. Uh, Maureen Faruqi is the deputy leader of the party. Thank you. That's why we have you on here. Me for just wild opinions, you for actual details. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, before I share my thoughts and things regarding this, I might jump to Ender and grab yours. Yeah, I think that the biggest missed opportunity on all of this was that none of the headlines read that's Amore, given her partner's name. But I think there's been a lot of commentary around 
the the era of judgment and I think that's been a recurring theme in Ozpol, like a lot of um, stuff that 20 years ago would have caused someone to resign has just been chalked up to an era of judgment. And so you're in this weird position where Thorpe probably should resign, but you've got Peter Dutton saying that it's uh, the most egregious sin he's seen in 20 years of Parliament off the back of this year an investigation confirming that you know, his former boss was appointing himself to secret ministries and Morrison didn't resign. You've got countless examples. So it's a bit of an interesting one in terms of the Greens, I think, have a bit of a thought problem. But there's also a degree to which um, she is the last and long line of people whose conduct isn't sort of falling foul of the public test, but who aren't immediately offering to resign because the precedent to resign hasn't been set for so long now. So that's sort of my initial impression of the whole affair yeah that's interesting um, Very. i'd say i probably broadly agree again i'll, I'll come back to my thoughts on it just while i try and collect them um i do yeah i agree with you that's an interesting uh th- there's a very interesting point on there and we'll get back to that look this has been an optics fiesta for uh, both albanese and, and dutton uh there was i think it was a sky news article uh, might have been Guardian, but it said uh, Senator Thorpe has since been warned that she could face a censure motion from the coalition. Uh, no great surprise there, but with Mr Albanese declaring the government will look into any proposals that are moved, I think both Labor and uh, Liberal are, are salivating over this one. Uh, I don't agree with what she did. My personal opinion is, like many of these instances, uh, it shouldn't be a case of they've stepped down from a position. It should be a case of they're, they're out. Now, I think sometimes people bay for blood too easily. However, this is uh, an, an obvious conflict of interest. I understand people get caught out. You know, they think, oh, okay, well, I didn't realise there was that that relationship there. However, this, to me, was a very obvious uh, conflict of interest. I also think, too, with somebody, someone like uh, Thorpe and the Greens, this this tends to apply them to them a little bit more, is the problem with moralising um, and saying what the standards should be is that it comes back in spades if you're not scrupulous because people don't enjoy being criticised and they tend not to forget it uh, when, when they get the chance to actually pay it back. My opinion is... I think it would be appropriate for her to to go as a personal opinion. Politically, I think she needs to play the game of just wait it out until people move on to the next thing. That, that, that actually is quite an interesting thing there, to kind of separate it into like what she should do politically and what you think she should do personally. Um, just as another slight correction, I'm sorry, ID. Um, it's actually Pauline Hanson who'll be moving the censure motion. Um, this, not the coalition. Oh, no, all right, the the, the uh, article I read had from the coalition, but as I said, you're here for the facts. Yeah, the coalition flagged that they might, and then Pauline Hanson came out and said, actually, I definitely will. So she will be facing a censure motion next week. Um, the question oh, is okay. who will right. so that's support a definite. it. Yeah. Um, I, I, in terms of who will support it, I can see... Um, like Jackie Lambie and probably even Senator Pocock also voting uh, for the censor motion. 
the question would really become the ALP, um, which the more I think about it, the more the more I think about it, I can't see a reason why they wouldn't vote to censure because let's be honest, censuring doesn't actually really like do anything. It just says we disapprove. Um, the one thing that might stop the ALP is that it looks bad to be voting like for Pauline Hanson's motion, essentially. So, yeah, to my thoughts on this whole thing, if I'm honest, I'm fairly tired of talking about it because I've obviously been having a lot of conversations um, since it all went out. Uh, I've seen a lot of takes where merely asking, like, you know, Adam merely asking for her resignation as the deputy Senate leader wasn't enough. Um, was it enough? Wasn't it? Maybe. But the thing is, and what I kind of find a little interesting, is a lot of people don't understand that the leader, like the position of being leader of the Greens, is actually fairly a ceremonial position. It doesn't have much power in it. I believe it's actually mentioned twice in, like, the party's constitution. There's there's no associated power with it in terms of dealing with... Um, parliamentarians like Adam Van can't kick her out of the party if he wanted to. He 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 literally just cannot. Um, he can't even personally suspend her from party room. That has to be a decision of party room likely reached by consensus. Right. Um, so yeah, like it's on one hand, this is kind of really all he can do. Um, yeah, as to whether or not she should resign, look. Again, sometimes I, I just don't know a lot of the time because it is fairly difficult um, being like an Aboriginal First Nations woman in the Senate, particularly one that's been so anti-establishment. Like the establishment is obviously go not going to like when you point out their flaws. But on the other hand, any Green who gets elected has to know that they're going to be under a lot of scrutiny. Like... Is it fair that we're upheld to, like, the same standards? No, because we're not upheld to the same standards. The standards for Greens MP is, is higher, and that's not fair in generally. But it's also something that Green MPs should know before they get elected and should act accordingly, in my view. So, uh, Yeah, look, I, I, I would push back slightly against that uh one of the things i do like about the the greens is how much they do push back against the the establishment and proclaim what the standards should be but that's a double-edged sword uh in this in the same way that a police officer in my opinion should be held to a higher standard when it comes to the law because of what they represent and profess to believe i think if you're part of the party that is extolling the virtues of these higher standards uh i think it's reasonable for the public to have a little bit more pushback in terms of the majors and the other politicians and that that's all just politics but i think in terms of perception of the the public i think it's quite a reasonable thing to say well listen you walk the talk on a whole lot of other things uh you should be doing it now yeah i i would actually completely agree with that i think 
the problem is when you, um, if you want to put it cynically, the if you get on a high horse and then it bucks you, you got further to fall, and, and that's where I think the the suggestion about her resigning is coming from a fair bit. The Greens do talk about not being part of the old political system, which is much more tolerant of sort of broadly corrupt or at least unethical behaviours, and that they're trying to create an alternative for which ethics has a place in politics. And I, I, I admire and kind of broadly agree with that, but I think when you do something like this, you do have to fall on your sword a bit. I think for her, for Thorpe, the the fact that she sees herself first and foremost as a, as a voice for First Australians will be one of the motivating factors against not stepping down rather than any kind of addiction to power. But the the like my observation of her more broadly is that she's a bit of a bomb thrower. So she's not in politics for consensus building and collaboration and, you know, convincing people of the merits of an argument through engagement. She's more about shaming people into, you know, action on areas where there's been inaction for too long. And so the, when she gets herself in a, into a mess like this, it's very easy to see people piling on because that style of engagement can be abrasive and, and um, can turn people away. So she almost has, has kind of created this rod for her own back in terms of the way the the rest of the, the parliament's responding to them. Um, to the point you made earlier, Apricot, um, I completely agree that you know, Labor would bulk at the optics of voting for a... Um, a One Nation or a Pauline Hanson-sponsored motion. But on the same hand, she's been making their life difficult for quite some time on the whole concept of the the voice and the, the, the treaty part that you could almost see them also wanting her gone. And you said before, it's going to be difficult being a, a First Nations Australian in the Senate. I, I think there's an element as well where subconsciously even the fact that she is a opinionated, strong black woman, even if her tactics are a bit abrasive, there is an element where that also is uncomfortable for people to to sort of mm. accept and deal with and, and from a very, like, a, absolutely not the right mentality for people to have, but I do think it exists in some part. Whether it applies in this specific instance or not, I don't know. I don't want to get in people's heads, but I wouldn't rule out the possibility that, it, at least in part of people's reactions to Thorpe, there is that discomfort at seeing that kind of demographic of person speaking out so so bluntly. Yeah, and I guess for me personally, my overriding feeling from all of this is one of disappointment. Um, you know, we had our best election result. We shouldn't be being bogged down in this kind of stuff. And was it a timed release for the Victorian election? Possibly. Um, you know, 2018, the LP was quite known for having, like, news bombs essentially kind of thing um yeah it, it is it is just disappointing one thing i did want to flag though is the media treatment not of thorpe because we've already discussed that a bit but of the greens actually as a whole because one thing that i have noticed um be fairly different in around all the coverage is this was treated like a major news story from a major political party. It wasn't like, oh, Pauline Hanson's done something again kind of thing or done something maybe not great. It was, okay, guys, we're going to end ABC News here. I'm going to take you live to Adam Vance press conference, kind of like. And I just thought that was a little bit interesting to see. 
So interesting, for, interesting from the are you meaning interesting from the point of view of, and it probably harkens back to previous discussions we've had, uh, but interesting from the point of view in that it signals uh, a shift in perception of the the power of the Greens politically. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And that in itself is also another double-edged sword in that when your perception is one of more power and more professionalism, you need to act like it, essentially. Um, is this the beginning of some teething pains for the Greens in terms of how they actually operate as a party? Because a party room in single digits, it's generally fairly easy to, you know, work out. Um, you know, any kind of vote or anything, it's usually pretty clear who has the numbers of the second you walk into the room. Um, most of the time, you probably wouldn't even need to go to like any sort of ballot. But as the party grows and gets more elected representatives, there is that weight of, you know, um, being a professional political party on top of you. And suddenly the position of like, you know, party room chair and whip is no longer just something that you kind of have to have by convention and it's more an actual role. Mm. Well, look, you probably you you and uh, you and Ender be uh, be better able to answer this. But uh, given that there have been Greens parties, particularly in, in Europe, less lesser so in the US, that have essentially made the transition from uh, a ground level grassroots to essentially an establishment party, uh, what has what changes have happened with them? If either of you are aware of that. So the main one, the main one really is um, Die Gruen, the German Greens, but it's not really a comparative example in a sense because of Germany's electoral system, it's much more proportional. Um, so they've been in parliament a lot longer than the Australian Greens in terms of political force. And <clears throat> there's also the fact that like, the more radical elements of like our greens kind of thing would be part of um i forget its name in germany but there's like this is there's another left party that's quite ardent left um there's a few of them actually and it could be argued that die Gruen, when they've taken on more like you know when when they've started been talking up as actually being the main party of government as they were in the last german election um they've taken a more moderate approach they've often been kind of commended on their ability to actually govern in a sense and make difficult decisions uh this is mainly around um what was it supporting uh, there was a decision i think around uh getting nuclear uh, power plants closed in exchange for supporting um germany's intervention in iraq i believe it's part of the un um oh. but those two things kind of very much conflict with what's called the four pillars of the Greens. Like, uh, Greens are a peace and nonviolence party. So, supporting a motion to go to war kind of goes against that. But when you've secured, um, uh, it might have been actually the coal, the coal mines, like transition power plant for that. So, yeah, I don't know. There's a general establishment thinking that. Gruen is the more mature Greens party of, of most global Greens parties, but it, they're playing a different ball game to the Australian Greens because their electoral system has made it that they get a lot 
I get a lot more people elected at once. I don't know, Ender, do you have anything to say? Uh, I think the uh, Delinka is the social the Democratic Socialist Party you're thinking of that's a lot more um, established left rather than centre left um, in Germany. But no, I, I agree. And <clears throat> yeah, I mean the only other Green Party I would have called out was probably just Green Links or Grün Links in in Holland, um, which is looking to merge with the um, Party van den Arbeid or Labour Party over there, just because the the pair of them have lost sort of electoral ground to to the more left faction. So it's sort of the inverse of what's happening with Green Links in, in Germany. But um, yeah, I think the, the legitimacy part's probably not an invalid call. I think it is that the Greens have now started to step up their presence. And so um, scenarios like this, where it becomes about politics as a game rather than politics as policy, are going to happen more and more often. Thorpe is, I mentioned this at the start, but Thorpe is a weak spot. <clears throat> and whatever ambitions the Greens have is, are going to be compromised by Thorpe's engagement style and the question of whether she and her, you know, she actually feels like she needs the party or belongs long-term. Um, Bant is in a position, though, where he's not going to be talking about um, their housing policy or what their response to the upcoming budget is going to be or what their policy on, on reducing emissions is going to be. He's going to be talking about a former member of his leadership team and conduct issues around them. And so with that point you made about the, the leadership structure and the, the ceremonial nature of the leader, it's a big question for the Greens of what do you do when you have a a firebrand who is more interested in burning it, the, the whole thing down rather than trying to reform it from within. Um, you know, Leary Annan was kind of, to my mind, the prototype example of that kind of personality. And that obviously was was quite fractious for the Greens. I think if they want to, and I don't know that they want to, if they want to become like the Greens in Germany, um, mm. they need to sort that that particular question out and work out whether the, the ideals that set the party up as a, as a, I don't want to say protest party because I think that diminishes its, its role, but in that vein of protest party, whether those principles can sustain it as it moves into becoming a viable third rail in, in Australian politics, because it killed the Democrats, right, that, that they weren't scaled up to deal with their increasing prominence in Australian politics. They tried to rebrand themselves and compl are completely gone from the political ecosystem, despite being the balance of power party for 25 years. So I think that's the big challenge they're going to have to solve, and and they've got to look to which do they want to become like Hurren uh, Links in Holland, or do they want to become like the, um, the Greens in in Germany? And that's it's like it's an it's an embarrassment of riches scenario, right, to decide your fate like that. But it's also going to come with some hard choices, and and Lydia Thorpe is helping them realize that probably sooner than they 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 needed to. Yeah, it's an that that is an interesting point. It's often it's often a failure point for businesses. Uh, moving from a successful small business, then hitting a successful niche or product, and suddenly they've got massive expansion on it. And if they're not uh, planning ahead, if they're not actually cut out for that growth, rather than just return to back what they were, it often signals the the end of them. So I, I think I think that's a good that's a, a very good point to say they have to now look at what they're going to be doing for this next stage of of growth because it's it's fundamentally changed it can't be the it can't be the same for them um we just had a so yeah i agree with you on that ender just had a couple of comments in the chat here from gray warden 133 
the whole Lydia Thorpe business was bad, but coming from Dutton asking her to resign made me kind of want her to stay still in still stay in Parliament, just to rub Dutton's face with his best friend Scotty, who are on his multiple speaking tours overseas and still receiving an MP salary. A little bit of pushback from Traveller Joe to that comment. So integrity consequences don't matter as long as you can stick it to the other guy. Extremely poor attitude. So uh, as we as we find in the sub, there's always there's always many views, but we encourage uh, the the healthy and civil uh, conversation. But this is an in, this is an event that has really captured the attention of people across the entire political spectrum, not just green supporters. I would never disagree with a, a Grey Warden, but um, no, I, I do get that sentiment as well, right? Where when when Dutton's like she should go, you go, yeah, he's he's probably not wrong, and when he says it's the worst thing he's seen in twenty years, you stop and think, well, hang on, mate, I know that's not true, so you must know it's not true, right? Like, mm. don't. It's kind of like, all right, Peter, sit down. You've made your point, right? You're making a fool of yourself now. Because there's no way with Morrison's, you know, the Morrison secret ministries things, um, even if you went back to the previous government, you know, the, the regular Rudd ones, letting Craig Thompson sit in parliament because you needed his vote for your mm. bare majority coalition after he went and, like, he was spending union members' dues on hookers, right? So it, it's, yep. it's like the. And then he was really wasting, vulnerable... the, wasting the rest of it. Exactly, and like these, these are vulnerable frontline workers. They they rely on him to have integrity. So, <clears throat> there are two examples there from one from each party that are, to my mind, more significant, or at least as significant as what happened here. Because what we don't, like, the thing with the Thorpe thing is, we because they use Signal to communicate, it doesn't look good. But we don't actually have any proof that she was disseminating information from the committee to to Martin. Now, it's. I mean, I think you'd have to say it, it's probable that some discussions were relayed, but we don't know. So all we have is just no. an error of judgment against two very well-detailed, egregious sins. So I, I kind of feel like Peter probably could have picked his words a lot better, but then if he did pick his words a lot better, he wouldn't be Peter Dutton that we know and love. Uh, well, well, uh, love is a strong word. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just before I move on to our next topic, I do also just want to flag that uh, in a previous discussion I was having earlier this week, is particularly regarding the signal, um, the use of signal. Um, apparently, you'll be hard pressed to find a politician in Canberra who doesn't have signal installed on their phone, as it's considered essentially the default there. Um, and is, isn't that just so delightfully ironic that the people who want to, you know, in, insert cameras into just about every public orifice are so concerned about their privacy? Yeah, well, Signal's basically, as I understand it, for a single sort of message, the GCHQ types of the world might be at a brute force, might not. But as a whole, it's basically the FBI's admitted conversations are essentially happening in a black hole. They cannot see it. So... Um, but I mean, yes, I understand every every politician's using it um, for for that reason of not yeah, and it'll be a counterintelligence thing, not wanting foreign governments to see what they're texting. But when you're then texting another half with it, um, you do start to raise questions, and that's I think that's the the problem. The optics aren't good, irrespective of what happened. The optics are not good, and so um, it's going to be difficult for her to sort of if it is just the minor offence of of um, having a bit of Darrell Maguire on the side, um, then 
that's one thing. If it was actually feeding information, that's another. If it's just a Darren Maguire, Gladys Berejiklian, and bad error of judgment, um, the way it was presented to the media, at least, you can probably forgive that a lot easier. But I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of exactly what happened unless the AFP released something, which they're unlikely to do. Hmm. Uh, I would agree. Now, moving on to our next subject, it's how the ACT likes to party, everybody. Um, this was a bit overshadowed on the day um, by, you know, maybe a, maybe another news item that we've just discussed. Um, but the ACT has voted to decriminalise uh, small amounts of illicit drugs. Uh, instead, rather than going through the penal system, uh, offenders will be issued, like, fines um, or kind of referred to drug counselling courses. Um, that's a very interesting term of events. Um, it could be argued that Australia has had its own war on drugs for like the last 20, 30 years. And so this, in my view, represents a significant break from national policy. And I guess I kind of just wanted to get your opinions on that. Uh, Matt Freda, you are deep first as our delightful libertarian. Huh. No surprise. I'm very much in favour of this. Uh, I'm a big fan of things like this and the this sort of modelling as they tried over in Portugal. Portugal went further. However, this is a step in the right direction as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned. But there's no doubt about it. Uh, bad things can happen with bad drugs. That's the reality of the situation. But the reality is also too that the current um, current law aren't stopping adults uh, putting what they want to in their body. Certainly introduces friction, but the the cost of creating this uh, this black market is too high. That's yeah. That's that's my uh, that's my stand. I did hear strange strangely enough, we're saying local libertarian. I was listening to uh, uh, listening to, to to Dave Smith and Robbie Lafire Bernstein on part of the problem as I was getting my breakfast ready this this morning. And there was a phrase that stuck in my head and I thought I'll note that down for today for this conversation. It was, why am I paying for a police force to arrest people I don't think should be arrested? I thought it was a, a nice little grab. On the actual technicalities of it, it's going to be interesting to see whether this filters through to, to other states and what impact this has on a a federal level. I know we've got the, I, th I think it was the, uh, not think it was, the Greens are looking into how uh, marijuana can be decriminalised and be within the, the constitution. But it's one of those things that once somebody tries it, it becomes an A-B test model. So that's one of the things that I particularly like about this. The ACT going there, going alone, means that in, uh, I think it's 12 months before they start the program, the ACT going alone means that we'll be able to say, here's an Australian uh, state or, or territory that has implemented this as a test. How does it compare with regards to overdoses, young people being uh, affected, young people, and I know it's not all just young people, but predominantly that's the ones that... Uh, I suppose to me really matter. Young people going to uh, hospital having uh, having problems, you know, both mental and physical, will actually be able to have a one to one comparison and extract some meaningful data. So, I 
that might sound an odd thing for me to say, given the ACT, but I think the ACT in this instance are doing a service to the other states and providing us with the start of a baseline for eliminating what to me is a, a, an egregious federal policy. Yeah, Matt, thread at ender now. Thank you for that. Uh, look, completely agreed. Having lived in Canberra for two years, anything to help relieve the uh, the boredom would be great. Um, but going wider than that, I mean, the Economist just put out an article about two weeks ago um, talking about Biden. Um, after you pardon the Americans who've been convicted of federal level on marijuana charges. And the economist has gone one step further and said, you might as well legalize cocaine because of the amount of social and economic damage it does to the US as a as a illicit product. So I think I agree with Ardeet's point that there is minimal harm and where harm can arise from an individual's tolerance levels and reactions. The money we spent on border security, on intelligence, on law enforcement, and on, on correctional services to deal with drug offences <clears throat> could just as easily be channeled into mental and physical health care to deal with the effects of people who have got problems that, <clears throat> with drugs that can't be fixed, right? And so the, the, the average user who doesn't have an issue doesn't have to worry about losing job and reputation over a, a trivial amount of, of uh, weed. And those who need the help can get it. So it, it just it's never made sense to me to have a war on drugs. Um, the only question I have, and I, I probably should know the answer to this, but don't, I do recall the ACT had tried to lead the way on civil unions um, or same-sex marriage and had had the Commonwealth overturn it because there was competing um, federal legislation with the Howard-era um, prohibition on or the amendments to the Marriage Act. So is there a risk in this that the ACT could actually try and trailblaze and find the Commonwealth doesn't have the appetite for it now and therefore um, renders that law null and void. I, I don't know. I should know, but I don't. Is there a risk? Yes, in the sense that since the ACT is a territory, basically the federal government can kind of yeah, do it exactly. um, <clears throat> Will it happen? I don't think so. That intervention into the ACT previously in terms of civil unions um, was spearheaded by the Abbott government at that time. It hadn't gone to Turnbull yet, had it? I don't think so. No, um, it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was, in my view, more of a difference with the fact that the ACT has had a Labour-Green government for so long and we had a Liberal government. Yeah, government ideological. Really, yeah, essentially ideological rather than any kind of practical. Um, <clears throat> One thing that I do want to flag is the ACT Liberals' response to this. Um, because after their last election, um, when Alistair Coe, that was his name, lost, you know, he was one of the more conservative voices, it seemed clear to me that the ACT Liberals, and then especially after the federal election when they actually lost all federal representation in the ACT, um, it seems clear to me that the ACT, ACT Liberals may have learned that they need to actually kind of moderate a bit, um, but the ACT isn't here for their brand of, you know, social conservatism. Um, apparently not. Apparently they haven't learned that lesson because I've got a little bit of an article here from The Guardian where it says, the deputy leader of the Canberra Liberals, Jeremy Hansen, condemned the radical move. It wasn't taken to the community. It's going to lead to more crime. It's going to lead to more carnage on our roads, he told the ABC. It's not going to change the number of people going into the criminal justice system. And it's not going to fix the problem that we have now, which is not enough people being being able to access treatment. 
I don't know about you guys, but I would have thought a system that basically doesn't criminally charge people and instead refers them to treatment um, kind of fulfills that last paragraph. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, so anecdotally, I actually, I wasn't joking, I did live in Canberra for a while and I worked out at Belconnen, which um, is where immigration were based, uh, as well as the ABS and someone else. Um, and the ABS used to get more death threats than we did. It was interesting. But <clears throat> Belconnen, there's a hospital out there that I think was doing a methadone-type treatment program. So if I, if my car was being serviced and I had to get a bus to work, you would see like a heightened number of addicts than you might see in, in any other major city by comparison. So there, there are <clears throat> serious social issues that do need to be addressed in the ACT. But I would have thought the Liberals would have seen this as an opportunity to free up some money in the budget to do exactly that. If that's their concern then it sort of feels like they've clutched their pearls first and foremost, not yeah. really looked at it as a as a cost-benefit piece and gone, okay, you know what, we'll support it. But if we see that it's leading to deteriorating social outcomes, then then obviously we'll oppose it and, and try and reform it over time. But, uh, yeah, that's a yeah, more it's a very uh, like they're capable of. It's a very, it's, it's a very, it's a very knee-jerk minded reaction in my opinion exactly Look, if, 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 i mean canberra yeah, liberals and losing name a more iconic duo huh. <laughs> yeah look I, I think that's a that's that'll be a good uh, angle to to argue this from though end of the actual uh profit well not profit side but the actual uh money saving side so talking about it from a point of view of the the financial benefits of it uh, may well hit home to them. And if this test works out that uh, ACT can demonstrate some budgetary savings as a result of this program, that might give it some more weight. And and we can, let's hope, you know, I mean, we, uh, I suppose we can only hope and, and wait at the, the moment, but I, <laughs> it it does my head in a little bit to hear responses like that from the libs. Yeah. By the same token, you're not surprised, right? That that's that's the direction no. that they're going to go. No. no. On that note, we might move into our final subject for today, uh, which is some new polling out of New South Wales showing that Labor is currently on the path to victory. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily say that you know it's the polling saying that they are going to win. They could theoretically cobble together a majority from this, depending on how it's spread out across the state. But the fact that uh, New South Wales Labor in this latest poll uh, from Fresh Roller Strategy by the Australian Financial Review um, is recording 37% of the primary vote to the uh, Liberals' 36% would most definitely be worrying for uh, Dominique Perrochet. Wouldn't you guys agree? I'd say yes and no. Just to, to sit firmly on the fence. Um, ah, fantastic, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think <laughs> I think I think yes, because Perrottet has spent most of his premiership having to deal with the idiocy of his um, with some of his predecessors' decisions and some of the the ministers that he's inherited responsibility for. So when he has put policy on the table, it's generally gone down pretty well. I'm thinking, for example, the attempts to try to abolish stamp duty. Um, and so he hasn't really had a chance to give the electorate 
uh, a view of what he would do in the future, more just what he's had to do in response to um, the ship of fools that he's the captain of. Um, the other thing I'd probably call it, you said before, um, the ACT Liberals and losing name a more iconic duo. Mine would probably be in, in recent years, New South Wales Labor and snatching victory, sorry, defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, hmm. The Batuta Advocate had a beautiful headline for Bill Shorten's 2019 defeat, which was that he Michael Daly to Stephen Bradbury. Um, huh. New South Wales Labor was again ahead in the polls in, in the last state election. Um, you'd had Luke Foley be a fairly anonymous opposition leader whose real claim to fame was that he was alleged to have sexually assaulted an ABC reporter. He was then replaced by Michael Daly, who was videoed talking to people about the worry of, of losing their jobs to Asians. And so it was not a great look for New South Wales Labor. Now he was probably more problematic than that particular statement, just in terms of not being a, a very inspiring or visionary politician. But it meant that Labor's, you know, strong performance as indicated by the polls did not materialise in the in the overall result of the election. So I think once you get into campaign mode and Perrottet gets to, to lay out a case for what he will do, you'll have a more representative view of what New South Wales intends to do as a result. He may still lose the election, the Liberals still may lose the election, but the polling right now is not based on a vision for the future so much as an indictment of the past. Mm, that's an interesting point. We do we do see we do see, uh, and it gets highlighted now with the the polls that there's there's a very big frequently a very big difference uh, at this point, and then uh, a couple of weeks leading up into it. I like what you I like what you said about uh, you know Perrottet's yet to be able to present his his case and bring his his persuasion to to bear. So at this point, to me, it's it's basically. It's it's interesting. Uh, it's just looking at, at variations before we actually see any sig significant uh, move. But yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with you, Ender. I think let's uh, let's wait and see what actually happens a bit bit closer. What what do you think, Apricot? I would broadly agree with both of you. Um, I think Dominic Perrottet is very much aware of his position. I think he is probably a fairly confident political operator. Um, I remember when he first became leader, a lot of people collectively lost their heads going, oh no, this extreme right-wing person is in charge and whatever he may personally believe, I think it's fair to say that he is treading very carefully as a government knowing that, you know, the last thing people want in New South Wales is a Peter Dutton type uh, leader. Um, which is why it becomes interesting to me that in terms of the approval ratings, uh, Dominic Perrottet has the exact same uh, strong, strongly favourable view as Peter Dutton at 12%. Um, so mm. is all that work? But he is same across the other categories as well, um, with the slight caveat that apparently 5% of the state has never even heard of Dominic Perrottet. Um, yeah, maybe that maybe that isn't working for him so well. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not in New South Wales, thankfully. Um. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> he, he is, though, on, on an overall favourability scale, he is ahead of Chris Minns. Um, and Minns has been, I think, trying to build the profile because there, it hasn't been... Since Bob Carr, there hasn't really been a Labour leader that's been 
someone that has been embraced by New South Wales. Um, I missed one of them briefly. I think we had Nathan Reeves for all when I was living overseas, but but otherwise, um, obviously Christina Keneally provokes the reaction she does for a reason in New South Wales. Um, the even Jody Mackay, who was the the prior leader to Mins, had had a lot of issues to deal with with a, a fairly fractured party, and then losing. I think it was Health Services Union disendorsed the New South Wales Labor Party. So they've had a really rough run, and Mins is, to his credit, trying to stay in the fight as a as an Albanese type stable figure. You know, like a a sensible, not going to rock the boat, going to get things done. Um, but it it hasn't really eaten into his. I guess status and with voters personally over over Perite. So I think that's why you know I said earlier Perite has no chance to shine. He may Perite may be able to make a better case than Mins and that, that will end up, like it or not, influencing the electoral result. Um and also Mins opposing stamp duty in a state that's you know, got house prices that are averaging what they are probably wasn't a great look. Um, so he's going to have to probably mm. do a bit better on the policy front as well because the only other policy announcement that springs to mind, and we all laughed about it internally, was the the ban on mobile phones in schools. Um, hmm. You know, like who was asking for this? But, uh, I, I mean, the thing is, I, I New South Wales Liberals are the last properly liberal party left out of the sort of federal and state LNP machine that's actually got a position of influence and so i think longer term it's probably important for the liberal party to retain new south wales um i'm also not sure if the country wants to go entirely the one color there's always good to have a little bit of difference and pushback there but having said that they've been in power for what 12 years um yep. change is not a bad thing either yeah um I would probably agree with you there. I would remind you that uh, Tasmania is currently ruled by the Liberal Party. I don't know if you... I, I keep forgetting it exists, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All, those maps where, all those maps that just admit Tasmania have had a psychological effect on me. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Tasmania. Um, it's okay. I, I, I like you. I like you a little bit, I guess. Um, I personally can... Oh, that was damning with faint praise. <laughs> I personally cannot really talk about Chris Minns um, from an unbiased perspective. Having heard him speak a little bit, I'm not a fan of his. And to me, he just looks like a cocaine adult footballer. Um, so I, I tend to switch off whenever he speaks, unfortunately, which probably isn't good. So, yeah, take that with a grain of salt, my opinion. Hey, just um, uh, speaking with the uh, cocaine adult footballers, uh, there was I just realised there was two uh, two comments that I had 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 missed on the the previous one, and we do like to acknowledge people participating in the uh, in the chat. Uh, our Kiri ALK YRE had made a comment on uh, Lydia and her reputation, but the. Uh, uh, drug one, Alkiri had said, decriminalisation of small quantities I see as an absolute win, honestly. It reduces the cost on policing, reduces the harm and poverty spiral to the lowering people. I think we lost you there. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, it reduces the harm and poverty spiral to the lower income people and lets any resources to illicit drug policing go towards more harmful and organised crime side. And we also had an observation from Easy Evie 
saying people in Geelong's CBD outright smoke ice in public. It hasn't stopped shit. So, look, I want to make sure that we got those those contributions in. And when you uh, use the term cocaine-addled footballer for, for men's, uh, I thought that's an opportune moment. Yeah, I, I was obviously the the big ticket item for regional areas to look at. But I mean, the number of people who partake of the uh, the devil's letters and get punished for it, like all of it, just needs massive overhaul and reform. I, I just I can't in my head think of a good argument not to do this federally. Yeah, but not to rehash our previous conversation, before we wrap up for today, um, I do just want to point out an interesting part of that polling, which is that the uh, Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party is polling 1%. Um, that's a bit shocking to me because in the last uh, New South Wales state election, you know, there were talks about them possibly having the balance of power, um, you know what I mean, maybe getting quite a few more people elected to see a party essentially flatline into non-existence i mean what's happened uh ender do you're in new south wales do you have any any insight into what the hell's happened to the shooters fishers and farmers no i was going to say that potentially um well i was going to make an offhand remark about floods but it doesn't seem the time um no i hadn't even they've been so quiet and non-existent that they haven't popped up on the radar at all it wasn't until you mentioned that i went huh that's right they exist so yeah i don't know I really don't know. Well, I think probably the uh, balls have dropped out of the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party. <laughs> Strangely enough, I've got an opinion on them. And in my opinion, comes from the, the, the shooting side. I think a big part of the problem is that they no longer seem to stand for a hell of a knot. There's nothing to differentiate them. Uh, when they've been pushed on matters that affect people like me who in, participate in the shooting sports, they've been they've been lukewarm. They're you know they're, they're almost descending, starting to descend to the level of the the Victorian libs. I'm not surprised that they have uh, they've lost ground because there's nothing there that people can get their team into their their teeth into, and there's nothing there that uh, is showing that they're standing up for 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 shooters and people have to remember there's uh close to i think it's i can't remember if it's one or two million and that's a big difference i know i should have that in my head uh but i thought it was close to two million uh shooters in in australia obviously they're not all in in new south wales but it's a significant it's a significant part of the voting population and a reasonable percentage of those can make a, a difference. So my opinion is shoes, fishers and farmers have let down their main supporters. They're not really offering anything of, of interest in. I'm not surprised it dropped to one percent. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a fair assessment. I'm just looking at their policy platform now <clears throat> they said they've got no appetite to weaken new south wales gun laws and yeah you know, I, I used to be a shooter myself i'm kind of okay with that i i, I don't want the likelihood of an american style outcome so i'm okay with a bit of restrictions although um the i'd love to be able to do airsoft here i did that overseas and it was an absolute blast but they're, they're environmental policy because they got that weird thing of kind of being a bit green but also being a bit more pushing um traditional kind of conservative causes I just don't see that if you're really interested in the, the land and conservation side that you're not going to get more out of out of other parties for it. So, okay. yeah, I think it's just a case of what, whatever people wanted from them, they're not getting anymore. They yep. can get it better elsewhere. Yep. 
And speaking of get it, getting better things elsewhere, you can find this podcast on all the best podcasting platforms. Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, that was, oh, I was, I was smiling to myself. Very nice. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, we might look at wrapping up today there. Thank you all for joining us. Um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. What do you... What are your guys' plans for the rest of the day? Uh, I've got a little bit of a uh, little bit of gardening to to do. I've got a the the R Australian um, talk at eleven uh, Reddit talk at eleven thirty for anybody who's hanging around and swapping over to one of our sister subs that su- supports free speech as well. Uh, and then I'll probably put my feet up. And Ender had suggested. Oh, I think it was Ender had suggested. Uh, watching uh, House of the Dragon, so I'll I'll get, I'll fire that up, and that's my plans. What about you? Ender? Oh, not me. That, that wasn't me. That was Perth. Oh, um, sorry. My my no, apologies. Of, what are you up to? No, I'm I'm one of those annoying snobs that read the George Martin books before the Game of Thrones show. So I uh, I became one of those dicks that complained that it wasn't as good as the books. Um, so apologies oh. for being one of those people. Um, I'll oh, probably just kicking the kids out this afternoon. It's raining in Sydney, so I'll have to get up on a ladder and clean my gutters out. Um, if a politician can promise me to get rid of all jacarandas, I'll have my vote. Asshole ah. freeze. Um, but yeah, like it. That's I'm a simple man with simple pleasures. But no, I'll hang with the kids this afternoon and uh, do a bit of stuff around the house before the storm hits. Excellent. What about you, Apricot? What What have you got planned? Oh, I was supposed to be doing letterboxing and stuff today, but instead I'm just going to go buy a blender. Um, huh. See, it's my plan for the day. I'm trying to make some homemade salsa. So, trying yeah. to make some what? Homemade salsa. Oh, salsa. Yeah, salsa. Okay. Right. Yes. Yes. All righty. You guys have a great day. Thanks, Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Andrew. See ya. See you. Bye bye.